All right, we are ready to begin. If you'd like to come in and find a seat. I invite you to come in and find a seat. As you're coming in, you need uh, pink sermon notes this morning. If you didn't get one of the pink sermon notes, there are some on the back table. You can run back there and, and grab some today. Um, you do need them for the, uh, for the sermon today, so be sure to, uh, to grab one of those. Welcome again. My name is Alan Dice. I'm so glad you're here this morning. We need to pray for Nancy's visa. Can we do that this morning? All right. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we call forth that Uganda visa for Nancy so she can travel and she can fulfill the calling that, that you've placed in her life. Lord, we call forth that visa this week in time, ahead of time, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yes. Well... Uh, many of you know we've been on this uh, theme called God is Good, and today is uh, actually the fourth Sunday, but the third sermon that we're, we're on this, uh, this kick of God is Good, He's Better Than You Think. And some of you remember the uh, first two sermons we had. First Sunday is the Sunday where Moses encountered God for the first time at a burning bush, and it was the story of introductions. Moses, meet God. God, meet Moses. Moses said, God, I've heard about you, but I don't even know your name. I don't even know who you are. And I wonder, can you remember the first time that you met God? The first time that God became more than just a word to you. The first time that God became real to you. The first time he became a person to you. And, and our scripture from that Sunday was Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Encountering God changes our minds, changes our hearts, changes our viewpoints, renews our mind. And, and the second Sunday, two weeks ago, was, was uh, God is good and God's goodness is displayed in his original design from the Garden of Eden. And remember, we had the story of Adam and Eve, and Adam in the garden, God gave him the job of, like, naming animals? Yeah. And I don't know how long it took to name all the animals. I, th I would think it took, took quite a while. In fact, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us how long Adam and Eve were there in the garden before, before they had to leave. It might have been, I don't know, it might have been weeks or months or years all those animals to be named, that was quite a job. And, and so God had work for them to do. So Adam and Eve were there in the garden managing the garden with God's authority. And the best, of, best part of all, they were living there in God's presence there in the garden. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, remember we gave out two weeks ago, we gave out what? Keys. Everyone got a key who came here this, uh, two weeks ago. And, and Adam and Eve sinned. They surrendered keys of authority back to Satan. And then when Jesus came, he died, he rose again, and he took back those keys of authority from Satan. And then Jesus commissioned us, his followers, and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go, therefore, and make 
make disciples. And, and Jesus gives to us keys of authority from him to go and, and make disciples of all nations. So we have keys of authority that often we don't know about or, or we don't even uh, choose to use or we neglect to use. So today, God is good, Sunday number three, is that God's goodness is revealed in Jesus. As pointed to in the Old Testament and unwrapped in the New Testament. Have you ever thought that, I often had this weird idea about like Jesus and God the Father. Like God the Father was this stern old guy sitting up there in heaven and Jesus was this was this loving gentle guy who who Jesus is just the nicer guy you know well, we've got this the stern old father and, and we got Jesus the nicer guy did you ever uh, maybe it was just me did you ever think about that maybe uh, get this idea that that Jesus is the nice guy and and God the father he's he's the uh, he's like the the stern old guy well We'll get back to that in a minute and, and try to figure out if that, how accurate that is. But, but we see that, that um, God's goodness is, is revealed completely, totally in Jesus. And the Old Testament points to it. New Testament points to it. So if you have, if you have your Bibles, you can, you can look at your Bible this morning. And, and Old Testament takes up you know, quite, quite a good chunk of your Bible. So... Uh, you know, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, all that, you know, all that is Old Testament. And then just a bit uh, toward the end is, is New Testament. So, you know, 39 books of the, of the Old Testament, 27 of the New Testament. And so we, we want to say here this morning that God's goodness is revealed and, and points to Jesus all the way through the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. It all points to Jesus. And, and some of you are thinking, well, yeah, I understand some of the New Testament. What's, what's the deal with the Old Testament? I mean, if you read the Old Testament, there's some stuff in there that are, that, that's pretty, pretty hard to explain, isn't it? I mean, there are a bunch of bloody wars and, and people are being killed. There are murders. There are massacres. There are, you know, even the Israelites, even the patriarchs, the people who were supposed to be God's people, they lied, they cheated, they worshipped idols, they, they did all kinds of things. They weren't necessarily always a very nice bunch, were they? So what, what does the Old Testament do? And, and what is God showing us in the, in the Old Testament? Well, four basic things. Number one, the Old Testament reveals the severity of, of sin. And that, that sin is... One serious matter. And, and even one sin makes us guilty of all the sins. That means that one little lie made me guilty of mass murder. One sin makes us guilty of everything. Even one sin means I don't measure up to God's holy standard. Even one sin means I have a Wow, a death sentence hanging over my head. The Old Testament reveals the severity of sin. Number two, Old Testament reveals the hopelessness of fallen humanity. Because our sin is a problem that we can't solve on our own. And we realize that in the Old Testament. 
we realize that, that we, we can't dig our, dig our way out. Dig our way, ways out. Americans, we're, we're pretty much problem solvers, aren't we? We're like, we got a problem, we're going to solve it. We're going to get her done, you know. We have, we have phrases that are, that are built into our vocabulary that we're going to solve this problem, we're going to fix it. Sin is a problem that you can't fix. Sinful condition means I'm in a quicksand, I'm in a quagmire from which I don't have any hope of extricating myself. It's like the little child who decides to, to dip his finger in some black tar and he gets a little bit on this finger, and then he tries to get it off with the other fingers, and, and after a while, all the fingers on this hand have black tar on them, and he thinks, well, I ought to be able to, to brush, them, brush it off with the fingers on this hand, and he starts to brush them off, and then he's got tar on both hands, and he thinks, well, maybe if I rub, rub uh, it off on my arm, I can get it off with my arm, and, and pretty much he's covered with tar from head to toe. And that's the way sin is, and that's the way uh, our fallen state is. We're like the little child who decides to, to play with tar because it's absolutely hopeless and helpless that we could ever clean ourselves up from sin. We can't fix ourselves. And number three, the Old Testament points to mankind's need for a, a Savior. And if your Bibles turn to Genesis, Genesis 22 here this morning, we're going to uh, look at this uh, one story from the Old Testament, from uh, the story of Abraham. And, and there are many Old Testament stories that actually have hints or clues that are pointing forward to Jesus coming in the New Testament. So the story in, in uh, Genesis 22 is the story of Abraham and, and Isaac. And if you're a, a parent here this morning, you can put yourself into this position. Genesis 22, where... God calls Abraham to do something really drastic. And Genesis 22 and verse 8, sometime later God tested, I'm sorry, verse 1, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called, yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. I have to stop right there because I'm a parent. And if I had heard God telling me to take one of my children and sacrifice them as an offering to God, because what you did was you, you took a lamb, you took a, a goat, and you would kill them, and then you would lay it up on the altar, and then you would burn it up as a, as a sacrifice offering to God. And I can't imagine hearing those words coming to me. I can't imagine how Abraham felt, how he reacted. Could you imagine God telling you to do something like that, and the emotions and the feelings you would have? Like, did, God, did I hear you right? That, that can't be right. And when they arrived at the place, you know, Abraham just, just sets out to obey God. And I'm not sure, the Bible doesn't say how old Isaac was, but Isaac was old enough to know how these things worked. 
And he, he was old enough to know how sacrifices work because, you know, they're on their way. And Isaac begins looking around. And he's saying, Dad, we got the wood. We got the fire. We got everything we need, but we're missing an animal. Dad, you, you forgot something. Isaac was old enough to know something was missing. And the Bible says, verse 9, they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, and Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And, the, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us about all the emotions that were going on right there in that situation. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. How does the story point us forward to Jesus? Uh, there are at least a couple ways. First of all, Abraham is like God in this story because Abraham is, is being willing to sacrifice his only son. And, and Isaac is, in a way, Isaac is like each of us in that a substitute was found and, and we didn't have to suffer and die. God provides a sacrifice, a substitute instead of instead of Isaac. So in a way, this story points forward to Jesus coming. The Old Testament also points forward to the actual coming of Jesus. And, and many of you know that, that the Old Testament is just full of prophecies pointing forward to the coming of Jesus. You know, he was to be born in Bethlehem. He was to be born of of a virgin. He was to be born in David's family. He was to have his hands and feet pierced. He was to have his clothing gambled for. And these are prophecies that were written 500 years, a thousand years before Jesus was even born. Now, some skeptics would, would suggest that, that Jesus knew these prophecies and he tried to arrange his, his life so that he was in the right place at the right time and, and that, that, uh, um, he, he would order his life so that these prophecies would be fulfilled. But if you stop and think about it, you'd realize that a lot of these were outside of his control. I mean, he had no control where he was born. He had no control uh, the family he was born into. He had no control how he was betrayed. He had no control how he was killed. And really, we look at these prophecies, and the only logical conclusion we can reach is that Jesus himself was who he claimed to be, the Messiah, God the Son. So the Old Testament, all the Old Testament is pointing forward to the coming of Jesus. It, it's, uh, and the New Testament expands and explains and unwraps him. I use the unwrap word because, uh, you know, we're, we're almost at Christmas. Uh, not quite. It's September. It's October 1st, so we have what, uh, you know... Uh, two and a half months yet. But we're almost at Christmas. And, and um, you know, 
we get this feeling in the Old Testament that a present is coming. And, and the Old Testament is all about telling people that something's coming. A present is coming. A gift is coming. Something's coming. Something's coming in the future. And then the New Testament says, here's your present. And the New Testament unwraps and explains who and what this present is all about. So the Old Testament is, is promising, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, your present is coming. And the New Testament says, here's Jesus, here's your present. And it un- explains and unwraps who Jesus is. So we get to the New Testament and we say, why did, why did Jesus come in the first place? And there are, you know, I'm just going to quickly go through um, seven different reasons or purposes why, why Jesus came, but, but the last one is the most important. So we're going to spend the most time on, on that one. Why did Jesus come? Number one, atonement for our sins. Jesus dying as a substitute for other people instead of them dying. Jesus dying as a substitute for me instead of me having to die. And so 1 Corinthians uh, 15 and verse 3, which is, uh, these scriptures are all in your papers. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And number two, uh, Jesus died, Jesus came and to take on himself punishment for our sin. 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins, in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus also came, number three, to destroy the works of the devil. First John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Number four, Jesus came to make an open display of the foolishness of the devil. And the Bible says, Colossians 2 and verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. God disarmed rulers and authorities, triumphing over them in Jesus. Number five, Jesus came to initiate a present tense, a present tense awareness of God's kingdom because we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth just the same as it is done in heaven. Jesus also came, number six, to save and not destroy. Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But number seven, I think, is the most important, and we're going to spend the most time on this one, is that Jesus came to reveal God the Father to us. So we get back to that question again about God the Father being this stern old guy in heaven, and Jesus being the loving, kind God 2.0 who came to, to, came to earth. Uh, is, that, is that true? Is it a good cop Jesus, bad cop uh, Father in heaven? Not at all. The Bible says that is completely, completely wrong. The Bible says that Jesus himself perfectly reveals who God the Father is. So there's no difference in personality. There's no difference in who they are and how they relate to you. Jesus perfectly reveals God the Father to us. And so John chapter 14 
And verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. They're talking to Jesus. And, and Philip says, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said, haven't I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So everything we read, everything we see, everything we hear from Jesus is the same as hearing that and seeing that from the Father himself. So there's no difference. There's no difference in, in the, the will, in the personality, in, in the relationship between Father and Son. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, he is the radiance. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father to us. So if you've got any thoughts or beliefs about the Father this morning, you need to get rid of them if they don't line up with the person of Jesus. So Jesus is the exact representation of the Father to us. And, and, and I say get rid of any thoughts or beliefs about the Father that you don't find in the person of Jesus. If you think that, that God would treat you differently than Jesus treated you, or if you think Jesus would treat you differently than God would treat you, that's completely wrong. Jesus and, and God the Father are, are exactly the same. Can you picture how Jesus would, would say or do in, in some of your deepest, hardest areas of your life? This is God the Father's heart for you here today. Jesus came to reveal not only the Father, but a good Father to us. And so, and so Psalm 139 says, uh, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. What does that say? God's thoughts about each one of us are as numerous as grains of sand on the beach. Ever tried counting grains of sand on the beach? Uh-uh, no. It's un uncountable. And so that's how numerous, that's the quantity of God's thoughts about us. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you future and a hope. And, and we see throughout the New Testament, Jesus appearing and, and ministering and, and manifesting to, to many people. And, and Jesus is really just, just expressing the heart of a good father to people. So, so uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, Jesus runs into this blind guy. His name is Bartimaeus, and he's, and he's uh, sitting begging along the side of the road. And, and Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is going by, and, and Bartimaeus just starts yelling, Jesus, have mercy on me, Jesus. And Jesus stops and says, Bartimaeus, what do you want? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. 
And Jesus lays his hands on him and, and heals him right there on the spot. And, and Jesus manifests a good father, the heart of a good father to Bartimaeus. John chapter 8, Jesus encounters this woman who was caught in adultery and all the, the leaders bring her to Jesus and they're accusing her and, and they've got stones in their hands and they're just ready to stone her. And, and Jesus uh, looks at the situation, he looks at the woman, he looks at these angry people with stones in their hands and he says simply, you know, whoever is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And they heard that. And they, one by one, the Bible says they start to leave. I don't know if they dropped their stones. But they left until only the woman was left. And Jesus says to her, woman, where are your accusers? She says, they're not here. She said, and Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go now and leave your life of sin. What just happened there? It was an encounter of a good father with someone who sinned. And each one of us needs an encounter with a good father in our lives as well, don't we? That picture of the woman caught in adultery was I'd say a father daughter moment a good father helping his daughter get on the right track we have the story of a good father Luke 15 the lost son the prodigal son who comes home and and we have that picture of of a father who's wishing and hoping and longing for his lost son to come back home. And he happens to be looking down the road one day, peering down the road, and he sees the sight of his son coming back home. And Luke 15 tells us that the father ran, ran and embraced him and welcomed him back home. That's, that's a good father who he welcomes us welcomes us back into relationship again. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, this is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Jesus modeled for us how a person, a mere human, yes, he was God, but he was also human, who is filled with God's power, operates and ministers. And the Holy Spirit searches out and reveals the Father's deepest thoughts to us. So because of this, I can hear the Father's voice. I can hear God's voice and I can minister to, to people with godly wisdom and prophetic words and, and words of knowledge that, that only God can provide. Just this past week, I heard this, this story. It's a true story of a, of a missionary who's, who's associated with the Dove family who led a man 
to Jesus, this man lived in Europe. So it was a missionary who led a man from Europe to Jesus. And this European guy, in turn, led to Jesus a student from the Middle East who was born to a Muslim family. And this Middle Eastern student returns home and tells his father they became a Christian. And his father was just enraged, super angry. And the father sent his son to his bedroom in the basement and said, you think this over. You have three days. And after which the father said, if his son hadn't recanted, he would have to kill his son for becoming a Christian. And so the son is sort of imprisoned down there in his room, and, and the son convinces his brother just to lend him a cell phone. And, and the son calls his mentor, the, the European guy who led him to Jesus originally, calls him on the phone. And the European guy, as they're talking on the phone, the European guy asks for the phone number of the student's father. No way, I'm not going to give you my, my dad's phone number. He'll kill me for sure. I'm not going to give it to you. The European guy says, no, it's really important. I have to speak to your father. And finally, finally, the, the student relents and, and gives the father's phone number to the European Christian. The European Christian calls the Muslim father. Can you imagine that conversation? Good morning. I'm the person who helped your son become a Christian. Furthermore, I've had a dream that I think relates to your family. And in my dream, a man was lying underneath a car, working on a car that was held up by jacks. And a little boy was playing nearby. The little boy did something to the jacks by accident, and the car crashed down onto the man who was lying there on the ground. The Muslim dad immediately said, Who told you that? How do you know such things? And the European Christian says, Did the story relate to your family somehow? And the Muslim dad said, The little boy in the story was me. And my father was under that car. He said, I never told anyone that story. No one knows it. No one could possibly know it. And the European guy says, the same God, the same Jesus that your son believes in has revealed it to me so you can believe in Jesus as well. And that day the dad was led to faith in Jesus. The dad goes down to his son's bedroom and hugs him and says, Now we are brothers because we both believe in the same Jesus. What did that verse say? The Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Words like this only come to us when we take time alone with God to hear his voice. Words like this and, and God speaks to us, God leads us because we have a good father. Because we have a generous father. Because we have a father who's always thinking 
of us and those around us because we have a good father who has good plans for us. And, and I believe that we need to let it sink deep down into our hearts that, that so much more is possible for my life than I ever dreamed is possible because I have a good father. So I want to encourage you this morning. I'm not sure where you are in your walk with, with the Lord this morning, but I have some next steps for you. Number one, that if you haven't, that you would believe in Jesus today as your Savior. He came, he suffered, he died for you in your place. Would you thank him this morning for suffering in your place? Would you thank God for his good gift of Jesus for you? You get a gift this morning that you could unwrap. It's Christmas morning for some of you here today. Number three, would you invite Jesus into the places in your life where you struggle or where you're hurting the most? Would you invite him there? Would you take some special time this week to hear God's voice speaking to you? And would you listen for God's voice as you minister to someone around you this week? Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you are a good father. Thank you, Lord, that you are trustworthy. Thank you, Lord. That you sent Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you, Lord, that he suffered in our place. Thank you, Lord, that we can believe in him and come to new life because of Jesus. We can come to new relationship with a good father because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that good gift. Thank you, Lord, that even some here this morning are beginning to put their faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, beginning to unwrap that gift of Jesus in their lives. Lord, we invite you today into those places in our lives where we're struggling or hurting the most. And Lord, today, this week, this month, this year, we take special time to hear the voice of God speaking to us, not just for our benefit, but also to bless and to lead others to deeper faith or to faith in you. Lord, I pray that we would be those who hear your voice this week and then step out to minister to people around us in the name of Jesus. We're going to be here to pray with you. I'd like to invite our prayer ministers to come to be here at the front to, to pray. And, and I, I just believe that there are some here who, who perhaps have never had an experience of uh, believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior or, or perhaps don't believe that God is a good father. And, and we'd like to pray with you this morning. If you'd like to pray for healing or you'd like prayer for just a mountain you're walking through today, we'd like to be with you this morning. So, Lord, I thank you that in each step of life's journey, you are with us. And, Lord, that you're giving us fresh new hope and fresh new faith this morning in the name of Jesus. Lord, would you come? Would you touch each person today in the name of Jesus. Lord, let us be able to encourage each other today. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives as we move ahead this week. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Come forward for prayer. We'd love to pray with you this morning.